Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Circuit. I am Ben Baharin. 同志们好 I'm Jay Goldberg. Jay believes that we have been hacked at this very moment by、uh, authorities、state. in the state of China because they want the、uh, Circuit episode so badly. That they need to listen to it the second that it's recording. Even though I could theoretically record and publish this live in real time for you all if you wanted to,、um, but that's、uh, that's the background to his actually impeccable Mandarin. But they we we think we've been hacked. Not, <laughs> We're just not, kidding. Not, but... not, not so impeccable, and you know I didn't name any country in particular. I'm just saying, you know, perhaps a state sponsored actor. Maybe listen. They to are.、You. They are yes. They there was a little、I'm, weird static when we first started recording. It kind of sounded like when you were recording, and then in analog days, you, you might have had somebody tap into your call. That's why we joked about it. I'm I'm wearing the wrong hat. I should be wearing my tinfoil hat instead today.、Uh, Tin Serrano said, "All right, so this episode is meaty, and and there will be disagreement. I think because、uh, we're going to talk about Intel, and as everyone knows, I've I'm generally a little bit more more positive." <laughs> Jay is the is the skeptic, although not nearly as a skeptic as some of the uh, financial uh, people that we know who are generally very very hard on Intel. But it was a really weird earnings call and in a really weird quarter because、um, Intel actually did a little bit better、uh, than expected with a number of business groups, but. Guided lower than expected, which is really, I think, the source of the sell-off, which we'll talk about.、Um, but we just briefly want to highlight, and I'm going to let Jay do this. Briefly highlight a couple of the quarterly earnings callouts、um, from last from Q4 23. Deep sigh. <sighs> okay, Intel. So Intel today is、uh, January 26th. We're recording it.、Uh, Intel reported yesterday, the 25th. And their results were,、uh, I would categorize as not great. the The Q four numbers were were good. They're above expectations, fifteen point four billion against expectations of fifteen point one, and EPS, you know, profitability meaningfully ahead of the street. I think by they beat by ten cents or something. Great, good job.、Um, coming off of last quarter, which was demonstrably like a turning point, which could be seen as a turning point in the stock. Like everything was firing again. They were profitable. Process improvements. They were announcing all that good stuff, so it was reasonable to assume that all right, there's been this long journey. They've turned the corner and are improving. But then yesterday they guided for Q1, and that guide was abysmal. It was、uh, revenue. They're sort of forecasting one and a half to two billion dollars below where the street was expecting them. The street was expecting a thirty cent EPS. They're guiding to a twenty cent loss.、Um, so. Big, big drop relative to expectations in both revenue and real, you know, concerns about you know deteriorating margins. So not a, 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 a not a good. I mean, I was gonna say a, that's a terrible guide. I mean, it was one of the worst guides I've seen in a while. And I think investors in general are kind of a little bit spooked about what's going on with semis. We had a really good six months. Everything ran up, and there's a there. I think there's a. Some people are worried that we're sort of we're hitting the top. Like it's kind of as good as it can get. And Intel fed into that fear, but also has some very specific issues going around it. Relative to that narrative that they were improving, last quarter, last quarter they turned a corner, and this quarter they seem to have turned back. And so, 
we're going to debate what to make of all this. I think where's, where's this headed? Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's a couple things that were kind of weird, but made some sense because, um, they, they came at this from a posture that this off quarter is explainable in terms of some of the, um, business units underperforming that are not a part of their core businesses. And they kept using this core businesses, which is CCG and DCAI. So consumer, the client group and data center, which right now we'll focus on are their two core businesses. I think IFS will be added into that, but it isn't at the moment, uh, in my opinion. So, so those two, so CCG and DCAI are, are sort of the, the kickers. Um, but within that view, I think you look at the last, I want to say six months, right? And, and Intel has actually been doing okay as a stock. They were up maybe 15 points over the course of the last six months. I think investors were starting to get some confidence that as the semiconductor industry had some recovery into 2024, that Intel would benefit from that. And, and I think that was sort of the source of hope, if you will, coming into this quarter that they're going to see some of this uplift. And it doesn't even have to be, I'm not even talking about AI uplift at this point. I'm just saying that the semiconductor industry looked poised to rebound in core categories in 2024 because of a fairly rough year last year and that Intel would benefit from that. And then Intel comes out and is like, oh, we're, we're going to be low. And, and now I think the concern comes back to, you have to wrestle with that in, the, in now the scope of, we do. We still believe that this industry is going to have strong recovery in categories that Intel should theoretically benefit for, which is also why I think they were relatively confident in their posture, saying that all the next few quarters will be up, as well as year-over-year revenue will be up. They seem to believe that with a conviction. I'm not sure this first quarter number, because of that guide, gives the street confidence that Intel's correct. I think they're a little bit worried that Intel's not correct in that. And I think that played into it. But the part I'm interested at is that that suggests to me that even if Intel grows, they're not going to grow. They're going to underperform the rest of the market. So other parts of the industry will grow more, which even if they're growing, which I think is good, you're going to got to wrestle with that bogey that sure, you got good growth. Is this you know high single digit? Is it low double digit? But your peers are going to grow more as this swing turns around. So I think all of that kind of just impacted now the thinking and the reaction was it was within some of that greater modeling as well as I, the way I just take it from a couple of conversations I had with, with friends on the sell side, some shaken confidence. Yeah. So I, I think there's two, there's two types of problems that popped up on the call. One are sort of tactical short-term next quarter kind of problems and then there, there's the bigger, longer-term questions. The short-term problem is last year was terrible for consumer semis. Smartphones mm-hmm. and PCs were just were just bad. But as we got through the year, last few months, everyone's sort of had a renewed confidence that PCs and mobile are turning up, which should right help everybody. Right? We've seen that from all the all the mobile ecosystem. We've seen that from AMD and some of the other PC players. Um, but here's Intel. Who who said they guided down? They cited three three things really. It was uh, FPGAs, like so Altera slash PSG, PSG, which is which is automotive exposed. So that's kind of their that's okay yep. maybe. 
Yeah. They said mobile eye, which again, automotive, big heavy exposure there. So that those those two are down. But they also sort of implied that uh consumers, so the their client group, PCs, would see greater than normal seasonality. Right? Q1 is always down quarter on quarter. Right. They said their specific right. words were the low end of that seasonality. So they're saying it's already seasonal. We're gonna be at like the low right. end of that. <laughs> right. And I I think most of certainly most of the analysts on the call who touched on it. And I think most people in general were kind of scratching our heads. Cause this seems yeah. like, I mean, two, $2 billion miss is a, is a, is a big number. I mean, yeah. PSG and mobile, don't contribute that much to revenue. So it's, it's, it sort of sounds like it's a very big mishapping on client, which, which again is counter counter to the narrative, right? Shouldn't PCs be, you know, doing better? Some, at least, at least not as bad. Um, and I well not I, this I don't know corner, how to but yes. right I, I don't yeah I don't know how to how to square that it was really it really struck me as odd and then and then uh, I think the first call was Ross Ross Seymour at, at DB who asked about that specific question and and he, he and I, I thought Pat's answer was really weird it was like he sort of got into the details of how we're going to define seasonality like what's you know is it down yeah this yeah. much or down that much which is it's it. it you don't want to argue numbers on a call with a sell side analyst who's sitting in front Agreed. of the Excel model. It Agreed. was, it was weird. So I think there's within, that set of tactical concerns that for the next quarter just didn't sound good. But I did sense, to be honest with you, you, you think you hit this exactly on the right, that there became a semantic debate about, well, how are you defining that? Because I don't define that that way. And now if I have to read within what, how Intel is defining this, seasonality, cyclicality relative to some unique definition to Intel. Uh, again, that makes me hard. It makes it, you have to believe that their model's right or that their definition's right in order to now make sense of A, the quarter and B, their their growth projection, their confidence in that growth for, you know, call it the next three, three quarters. But I think the issue is the second half of the year should be when we see, and I don't know how to read second quarter. Second quarter is kind of weird, but obviously they got a lot of product wins from Meteor Lake. I mean, that seems evident. Um, those PCs don't ship though until you know late second quarter, early third quarter, and then in big into fourth quarter. So I do wonder if the back half of the year, the question is when, why was data center was what it was in the get? Like data center should be seeing a lot of that uptick as people are still doing, we know, needing to refresh their systems. So that, that was a little bit more of kind of a head scratcher. I get PC seasonality. That totally happens. The data center, though, I think was a little bit trickier trying to make sense of that within what typically will happen in this quarter because I would expect that NVIDIA and AMD are going to have fairly good data center quarters this quarter. Yeah. So I remember on a couple a couple points during their, when they were speaking, the execs were speaking at Intel, they they said, oh, but the year is going to be up. Like they, they were trying to say like this quarter is bad, but the rest of the year yes. is going to be up. Yes, right. And okay, I'm, I'm willing to believe that on client, like there's an improvement out there because they're going to have a whole bunch of new products on the market. Maybe they can pick up some share from AMD or, you know, and, and they haven't really bled that much to, to AMD. So they're still competitive there. But if, if that's true, if they really think they're going to grow this year, revenue and EPS are going to grow this year, then for the life of me, I could not understand why they didn't give full year guidance. Yes. And I, I've been thinking about it all day. And I, I I had conversations with people on Twitter about it. And it occurs to me, they didn't guide for the full year because they can't, right? They just don't feel comfortable with how the year is going to look. And I and 
And I agree with you 100%. That is largely due to data center because data center is a, a big problem. But I also really wonder how much confidence they have in, in client for the year. But but it's the data center piece that I think really leads into the second set of problems they have, right? The, the quarter is what it is, but the year outlook, I think, is is very challenging. And I think that's the, the narrative on the street is the data center belongs to NVIDIA now. Yeah. How is Intel going to be relevant here? And from, you know, I think the sentiment is increasingly increasingly that uh, Intel is, you know, not that relevant in the data center anymore. I mean, to put it really in strongest, bearish terms. Yes. And I think that's true. And I think that that became sort of conversation from the point of GPUs. And I think because everybody's sitting there saying, well, we know that we're in a training cycle. Training means people want to buy GPUs, which means it's largely going to be NVIDIA with a little bit of, of, of AMD, not as much in terms of, of, of where Intel is positioned there, which is why they kept making the point, which I agree about. And I don't know when this flips over where the dollar buy for data center and on-prem shifts to the demand being for inference, at which point that's a CPU conversation and a dedicated accelerator conversation, which should be, be both an Intel and AMD conversation. But that, that, that feels like what they're banking a lot of this on. And again, I, I believe that thesis, I don't know when that happens because we're definitely still in a GPU, uh, in a GPU market right now. Um, but, but you could hear them talk about, you know, inference matters. We're going to be well positioned when people start caring about inference, both in the data center and, and on, on-prem infrastructure. But again, I agree with you. I, I think guiding full year would have helped this bogey. I think I'm with you that they're not sure. I, I don't mean, I don't think that means they're not necessarily going to grow. I think it's just a matter of, again, are we talking about, is this a single digit or a double digit, you know, type of a situation and, and yeah, they, they they may not know which is why, but I do think I do think that that would have helped. But but still, what's odd to me is that again I, I I've thought a lot about this, so I've you know I've I've rationalized it to myself. Like I I can I can believe in these next quarters. What I don't understand is like what happened that other people just didn't understand it. Like it just constantly got got hit and brought up about like they they tried until tried their best to to soften that blow. And it just didn't, it just didn't work out. And I, I realize it's a complicated issue because, like I said, I did have to think about it for a while to to understand the explanation. But it just didn't come across. It didn't, it didn't land. And now investors look at this and they go, "We had hoped for a nice, clean recovery, and that this year would be good." And now they're like, "It sounds like it's going to be more bumpy," which again shakes my confidence. Yeah, I, I, I've listened to what a few hundred conference earnings calls in my life and after a while you get a, a sense of the I mean, i'm sure you're you, you've done this too there's like a, a certain pattern there's there's patterns you pick up on and the the patterns i was hearing from the answers they were giving to their questions eliminated any confidence i had in their answers right they just weren't giving confident answers they weren't talking to the subject at hand they, they didn't really i don't think they fully grasped the mm. extent to which they're still very much a show me story, prove it to me story. Yes. Right. Right. And, and their answers were, you know, they, they wouldn't necessarily answer the question given, or they would sort of go off on these very narrow specific critiques of the question. And that's, that's not how you address this big issue. And, and I, I don't know if they didn't want to talk. I mean, they, they, they gave the sense off, they gave the sense that they didn't want to talk about these issues. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think they fully grasped 
how how much people don't believe them about a lot of this stuff. And I think that that's the most concerning part to me is just sort of a, a big disconnect. I, I, and I wrote about it in my, I've, I published a note on it today where I was, I said, the, it feels like, this feels like the Intel of the past, right? 10 years ago, Intel could ignore a bad quarter because they just say, oh, the new, the new process, the new node will be here soon. And that's going to fix all our problems. You know, we're Intel and we're confident. And, and back then they could carry that, right? They could walk that, they could walk that walk. And today, I don't you know. They, it's been years since they could do that, though. And the answers they were given very much harken back to those bad, those old days. Like, and it's just a, it's a different world. And yeah. I, I think I think they really they really uh, mishandled the communications uh, on this call. Uh, for some reason, they didn't seem to anticipate the the tone of the questions they were going to get. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I agreed. I, I think, like I said, like I said, it was a head scratcher to me because just listening to the whole thing and kind of how it played out. And then just a handful of notes that I read afterwards, it was like, it just feels like, I don't know. I feel like this could have been avoidable if, if it was just articulated a bit of a different way, but we are where we are. You're totally right. This Intel needs to proof in the pudding. I think hopefully their next three quarters are what they are. Um, I do, you know, it is interesting, right. To see what happens with Mobileye in terms of, like you said, automotive exposed, is that just a couple quarters or is that better? And then what happens with PSG uh, revenue-wise? Because as you know, we looked at yesterday, it drew Lattice Semi down. Um, the only other, you know, now secondary stock on the market that's FPHJ specific, which spooked the whole market of SPGAs, right? Yeah, it was it was interesting because AMD was only down a point on the day. Yeah, it, it opened, was it down opened yeah, slightly. It, AMD was down a lot at the open, and it, but it closed only up down a point. Lattice got hit pretty bad, uh, just because, you know. Yet, like you said, it's the only other FPGA stock out there. But it, it does raise an interesting question: where you have Intel is sort of trained in how it how it speaks to the street, and I wonder how that's going to carry over to Mobileye and ultimately PSG slash Altera when they get spun off. Like Mo- Mobileye was public for a long time, and they're public again now, so I, I think they can probably speak for themselves. But but PSG is like that's that's a whole new thing. They're gonna. I, ho- I hope they don't pick up those habits. Is what I'm kind of kind of saying. They they need to find a new way to communicate. Yeah, agreed. And and, and it's tough. Like FPGAs are as we've talked about, hard to wrap your brain around because they're a very blank slate. They can be lots of different things, and so it's kind of hard to really grasp the the categories and the productization when you know, they're, they're a blank slate of programmability. You can make them do lots of different things. They're general purpose. Um, so yeah, that will be an interesting, interesting to watch how, how PSG, uh, yeah. Gets spun yeah. off. Uh, yeah. You, you and I've had this conversation. I don't know if we've had it on, on the podcast before, but like modeling an FPGA company, if you're on the street trying to build a financial model around an FPGA company, it's, it's impossible because it's too many end markets and you can't keep track of them and it's 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 really hard to get data for them so it's 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 a it's a modeling challenge just from the get go and i think that's part of the reason that altera and xilinx were kind of undercovered for a long time is just because mm. nobody could build financial models that gave them any confidence around it and i think i think it's a problem for lattice too i mean they're doing fine but it, it's just a it's a tricky problem to solve and and uh, that's just strictly a you know a wall street interpretation problem like i think fpgas are super interesting and they're going to have their place in all these markets, FPGA, FPGA market is fine, but like, it's going to be, it's tough for the street to really dig into those names. 
Right. Agreed. Um, so let's, so let's shift the conversation now to foundry because uh, interestingly, even though this wasn't relevant to necessarily Intel's earnings, um, they did announce a new partnership with UMC. And there's a couple things about this that I thought was interesting. Um, so, so the first, the, the broader background and context for, for this was that there's driven by UMC, but there's demand to move to from, I have no better way of saying this other than the trailing, trailing edge. So all the strength that we see in 28 nanometer and all these other things that do a good job. There are elements of those manufacturing capabilities that want to modernize. So move from 28 to something else, bring a little bit more of a compute capable node and start building your products on, again, a little bit more compute capable node that's not just right 28 nanometer. So, so part of this drive is, is that, right? Intel wants to compete in what is now a collaborative. So there's, there's, there's assets being brought by both Intel, by UMC in terms of capital, people, tooling, um, in order to build this specialty node that's being assisted by not necessarily for UMC, UMC is going to use it, but as it's, as it's pertains their customer base as a whole, who wants these sort of specialty nodes. So a, I find that interesting about, okay, so the trailing edge moves from 28 to something else. So now when we say the trailing edge, we might mean something in the teens where there's interesting things happening. Um, secondly, it's interesting that to me that Intel is taking a page from TSMC's book finally and using depreciated assets for this. So their cost structure should be good when this hits in, in 2026, which means, and again, U.S. soil, right? So part of the story is, oh, we can do this now. So we have defense. We've got companies that might want more modern, again, modern trailing edge nodes, which is feels like a paradox, but that's how I'm saying it. it, it in order to move their products kind of more, to more compute capable and do so, on, on U.S. soil, which then brings up interesting questions about uh, global foundries in in light of this. In terms of, is that bad for them? Is this something they need to do to bring more compute capable nodes at call it between ten and I don't know twenty four, twenty two, wherever those things fall? Um, but I thought I thought this was an interesting signal. Is kind of my my point about how the trailing edge will evolve and then who's poised to compete there. That's the point I was trying to get to with that ramble. Yeah. So, so it's, there's a lot of interesting things happening at the trailing edge and interesting, good and interesting, bad. And we, I mean, we've probably should do an an episode on, on trailing edge at some point soon, because there's, there's a lot of, I just diversified the trailing, trailing edge. To the trailing That's edge, right. Right. the modern trailing edge. I've I've brought two new definitions to the table. Mid mid edge, mid edge. <laughs> I, I um, but no, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on there. I, I thought the UMC deal was interesting. Since Pat's taken over, he's made he's made it very clear that he wants to increase Intel's trailing edge capacity. Right, he recognizes. They said he's been very public about this. Says you know TSMC. Yep. is very profitable, has a, these big profit centers because they use these fully depreciated fabs. And Intel didn't do that. So he he's wanted to add trailing edge capacity. They had the, t- the tower deal, which got blocked, but I think that was the clearly the, the motivation behind that deal. I think he'd buy UMC if he thought he could get it past the regulators, which of course mm. he can't, but yeah, 
right? So he's and and, and what two three months ago they signed a, a very similar deal with with Tower, similar to the UMC deal. I think the UMC deal is even broader. I assume that those deals have been both have been in the works for a long time. So I mean he's so he's got a lot of a lot move. He's really is putting a lot of his time and his effort into getting Intel's trailing edge capacity built up, which is important. It's a good idea. It was it's really interesting to me though because last week we talked about TSMC's earnings, and I think it was one of the last things we talked about was uh, they actually mentioned that they are, I think they're building a new twenty eight nanometer fab, or they're mm. yeah because they need the capacity. One. Yeah, yeah. Which is right, and and which is weird, right? It sort of throws the whole story up and on its end because, like, the whole point of you keeping those old fabs open is that they're fully depreciated, uh, but now they're putting more capital into them because there's some need there, and I I think I think part of the motivation for what's going on here in the industry broadly is is China, right? China has a huge totally. amount of trailing edge capacity. Yep. coming on stream. Um, we'll probably see some fabs in other parts of the world too. Europe probably has some too. Lots of interest in building fabs in every country. A lot of that's going to be, all of that's going to be a trailing edge. And China in particular is going to bring this big wave of capacity. And I think the the best way that the the global leaders can defend themselves against that is to have specialized, something really special about their their process. So it's not plain vanilla 28. Right. Plain vanilla sixteen. It's something right. a little bit more, a little exactly. fancier. Exactly. Which, which, like you said, that leads that leads directly to Global Foundry's front door because that's their whole, you know, that's their whole value proposition is that they're all into these tra- specialized trailing edge processes. Um, yep. And so, I, I don't think the GF people are that worried quite yet. I think we haven't seen a lot of detail about what this UMC process is going to be. Is it going to be SOI? Right. Is, are they going to go after the RF SOI market? That's a big deal for GF. But I, I uh, it, there's, there's lots of room there for specialization and everybody's could be a little bit different, but it, it is like, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts. And I, I, I think this is actually a pretty smart strategy. I think this is, I, like I said at the time, Intel losing tower is a blessing. They didn't need to buy tower. Now they can just sign this deal and, you know, it's a little more cumbersome. They don't have control right. over it. So there's a little bit of margin stacking. That's all fine. Like now you can go to a customer like the U S government and say, we'll build you a whole system with yep. the trailing edge and the leading edge parts. And yep. I think that's, that's really what they want to do. Fantastic. We're going to have yep. all these rad, hard military grade semis coming out of a whole host of nodes. Yeah. Well, and I think you see where this becomes interesting and and I haven't fully worked out, you know, kind of how this plays out, but, but similar to a theme we talked about last week about these very specific AI architected and designed pieces of Silicon, you know, for things like, let's call it in, let's call it a dedicated AI Silicon security chip. That doesn't need to be on three nanometer or two nanometer, right? That could be plenty good at 10 or, or something else or 10, right? So, so those, those things, and, and I wonder again, like just how much th- this is a signaling of a trend to more again of that modernization of some of these mid-edge, mid-edge foundries, b- because it does feel like there's an element of AI that will necessitate that. And, and you're then you're exactly right when you've got local people. So again, right, a- China will do this for it does again have to be at the leading edge for Chinese companies. Uh, Samsung will do this for Korean companies. There's Japan semiconductor companies who've already made investments there 
you know, Europe, et cetera, for their sort of domestic needs around, again, call it a mid-edge specialty node that's got mix of some AI architectures or something else. So anyway, I, I like it. I, I thought it was very clever. And and you're, you're definitely right. I think the one thing that Intel commentary wanted to sort of make clear, though, in terms of the tower deal versus this one, like they've positioned this tower deal really as just kind of contract manufacturing. This is a collaborative effort where they're working with UMC on this kind of specialty process to, again, go and solve problems for them and their customers that they're hearing. What that, that was to me the kind of part of this where I was like, that's actually, that's really interesting as a signal. So, Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to imply that the, the Tower and UMC were the same. There's there's lots of differences in this deal, but it's sort of thematically, they're very yes. tightly coupled. Yeah. 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 And I think it puts Intel in an interesting position, right? To say, look, where might more of these collaborative efforts start to show up with at, with depreciated assets of theirs at, you know, kind of this mid-edge scenario, right? And especially as you move to, again, over the course of the next, I don't know, three, three or four years, and we move to, you know, 20A, 18A, 16A, 14A. I don't know if those are the names, but I'm just making them up. Well, then Intel 5, Intel 7, those things become actual validating, you know, again, mid nodes to go and you depreciated them. So like you said, Pat wants to monetize these depreciated assets like TSMC. So that becomes some of these opportunities over the next, you know, call it decade that I think are interesting. If they make it that long. They'll make it that long, Jay. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to let you end this. I on know. A I know. Note. I know. I know. You're not. They have. They have to survive. Like I kind of. I feel like this is a. They have like, f- for the sake of the industry, they have to survive. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll 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 survive. But it, it, in what what shape that will take, and what the company will actually be producing at the end of it is still right. Very. But much I like. Innovative. But but within that point, like I think what I'm positive about is that there has been a lot of. So yes, the turnaround has not been rosy and I know we're not necessarily saying it's a full turnaround yet, but we are in the midst of this turnaround. I, I think things could have gone a lot worse. I think they're actually going better than honestly I, I, I thought in terms of execution. But I like the I like the 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 nimbleness of some of these things that Intel's doing. Like you wouldn't have scripted that, right, a year ago. So it feels like it feels like they're very open to lots of different changes that are happening, both at the manufacturing and at the product front. Because again, they're making a number of tiles at TSMC for this upcoming product launch, which super interesting. Um, I don't know. I just, I like that it's, not, it just doesn't feel like they're stuck in their ways. They might be still beholden to some beliefs, but I just don't feel like this is the same. We're going to live or die by this thing that prior management would have. And so I like that there's diversity willingness to think out of the box now again does that mean that they all things remain rosy in the end i don't know but i just feel like that's a better posture than some of the posture i've seen which is live or die by a very specific philosophy so i i've i've for years now i've used this sort of framework of intel has to solve three problems in serial one has to be solved before the next and the first was fix their manufacturing process mm-hmm. and They've probably done that. We don't know for certain, but it looks it's looking pretty good. So that's one problem one yep. one. Yep. And I think that was the story of 2023 is their their, their journey through getting 820A and 18A to production. Yeah. And we're almost there. Okay. Problem number two is they have to 
now go out and actually make products that people want to buy. Yeah. And that's what I think that's what we're in right now is at this exact moment, they don't have a lot of products that people want to buy. And we're going to see through this year how, how that changes. The new processes will come on that will make their products more attractive. They're right. But we, we don't know. And, and the whole shift to AI and NVIDIA's rise makes that story solving that problem much harder. And then the third problem they face, which we really are just scratching the surface on is then they have to get IFS to work mm-hmm. so that they can fill their fabs and keep and, and stay the course and maintain, you know, have enough volume going through their fabs in, in order to support the R and D to keep on this curve, they got to like keep the treadmill going, and that that one, that one's yes. still to be determined, Longer. right? Right, right, exactly. I will absolutely grant your point though that I think Pat is doing as good a job as he can given the the, the cards he the the hand he was dealt. I can't think of anyone else who could have done this. Maybe a couple people, but it's like he's he's the right person. I, and I have I have faith, and you're right. He's he is willing to. Uh, break the old ways of thinking uh, and sort of, you know, there are no idols that nothing, no sacred cows, so to speak, that he's beholden to. And he's, he's doing a good job. And so, and so that's why I was a little bit concerned by the way sure. they were talking on the call sure. yesterday. Agreed. It seemed like reverting to habit um, yes. and not necessarily just him. Like, I don't want to single out him. I, I think it was just their whole tone overall. So I, yeah, they're, they're, they're not doomed, but, I, I do think um, what really upset people about this quarter was the fact that we, we thought we had gotten further along yes. their trajectory than right. we seem to have. And so we still have agreed. We're kind of, we got to prove it to us again. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly the point and which we'll end on. Cause that's again, just the summit it all up. It's a, we thought, we thought we were really through the schloff. They had some really hard quarters last year. Everybody had hoped, that was the bottom, right? When margins hit, I forget what the bottom was, like 32, 34%, yeah. something like that. Some some really bad number. G- granted, though, gross margins were good and they're predicting gross margins to stay good, which does suggest a strong product backing. But I think you're exactly right. People had hoped that we were through the worst and having a Q1 like that didn't, didn't, didn't help that any. And so it's back yeah. to, you got to prove it to me again. And these next three quarters will be, will be very telling. So- yeah. Um, and and there there are more. Show problems. me the money. <laughs> show me the. Money. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, and the the thing is, there are more there are more problems out there. We know there's more bad news coming, right? For for, for one, like next quarter, I think they're going to break out IFS, or next next month they're going to break out IFS. We think revenue model, know. maybe we think, and and hopefully. they've been telegraphing pretty clearly, like don't get your hopes up. We're we're losing yeah. a lot of money, yeah, and I think it's. We all know that, but I think once we see just how much money IFS is losing, it's it's like people are going to flip out. Yeah, um, that's that's one. Like, so you know, if you're listening to this, get ready; those numbers are going to be deep, deep in the red. And we're excited to talk about that when we learn about it after their event on February 21st or 22nd, one of those days. Yeah, and and the other thing that concerns me is. Uh, like uh, David Zinsen, their CFO mentioned a couple times, like, "Oh, we'll be cash flow break even this year," with a little asterisk next to it. Every time you say, you know, but remember, we still have to spend a lot of money, the transition, and we got to do a lot of capex. High so, like fixed cost business. So, like maybe they're not going to be cash flow positive this year. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that was my favorite commentary from Dave in in the bad quarters, the dark days of the growth, low thirty percent margins when he just kept saying, "Listen, this is a this is a high fixed cost business, and it is. You got to spend thirty to forty five billion dollars per fab now." When when I first started covering Intel, this was like eight billion, you know, and now it's thirty to forty five to get competitive at the at the leading edge. But we hope those ships, right? They're going to need some big whales of a customers to help push that forward and and get back to full capacity and at some point profitability. But as we talked about before, I don't think we're going to know any of that really until twenty six or later. So, but it'll be fun to talk about IFS once once we have IFS day at the end of February. So stay tuned for that because that will be interesting. So on that, we will wrap. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, your comments are appreciated. The kind words we get via email, like, subscribe, review. As Jay likes to say, tell your friends. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.